Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. We are starting a brand new series today. We are in week one of a new series called Different Kind of Church. Anybody pumped for this series? Some of you might be saying, I don't know what it's about, so I can't be pumped for it. That's okay. I'm going to tell you what it's about and follow us on social media, and then you'll know from here on out when these things come up. But anyways, different kind of church. Have any of you ever looking at the church before, maybe looked at some different behaviors or activities and maybe thought to yourself, you know, I don't know if that's what Jesus had in mind when he started this whole thing 2,000 years ago. You know, when, when you look at some behaviors, you look at some actions, you look at some ways in which the church has behaved in recent history, you might be saying to yourself, yeah, even if you're someone who didn't really grow up with church or with a faith background, you might still have a little bit of familiarity with who Jesus is and what his whole message was about love and sacrifice, and you look at some things that happen in the church or around the church, and you're like, uh those things don't really seem to line up. What he had in mind and then what, you know, what I see right now, those two things don't necessarily appear to line up with one another. For example, it could be something really goofy or silly. I remember at the church that I grew up at with my younger brother, sometimes they would do these dramas that really spoke to a lot of people and really were encouraging to a lot of people in our church. But for myself and my brother, it was a time for us to just laugh the entire time because we thought things were funny and, you know, we were too middle school boys who think drama is funny. I remember there was one where there was this guy, he's on stage, and he was dressed like a shepherd, and he was screaming to the top of his lungs, wash my body. And we didn't know why he was saying that. But for middle school boys, that's hilarious because it's uncomfortable. And so we were like, this is just funny. So maybe there are some goofy things you witnessed in church growing up, and you're like, "Ah, I don't know if that's what Jesus had in mind when he started this whole thing. Maybe it's more serious when you've been in church and you've experienced what people would refer to to is church hurt, and there are different levels of hurt that you can experience in the church. Maybe somebody offended you, maybe somebody gossiped about you, maybe on an even deeper level, maybe somebody within the church abused you in some way, and you're like, I don't think this is what Jesus had in mind when he started this whole thing. Maybe it's just division that you've witnessed within the church, and you've noticed how certain churches will divide over what seems to be the the, the silliest of topics, and they'll divide, they won't talk to each other, they'll split up, and you've noticed that sometimes there's division that happens in the church as well. So maybe it's something goofy, maybe it has to do with church hurt, maybe it has to do with division, or for some of us, what we've observed is how the church will just jump on certain political movements or whatever's hot or whatever's cool at the time period, and you're like, I don't really know if that's what Jesus wanted us to do when he started this whole movement, but it seems convenient for this group of people at the time, so they're just going to jump on with this movement. I don't know what it is. Once again, it could be goofy stuff. It could be hurt. It could be division. It could be the way the church has clung to certain movements based off of the church's own personal benefit at the time. Or it could be something completely different that you've witnessed before. And you say to yourself, you know what? I don't know if this is what Jesus had in mind when he started this whole thing 2,000 years ago. And so that's why we're doing this series, Different 
kind of church. We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote around 60 AD. Paul wrote almost half of what we have today is the New Testament. If you don't know who Paul is, I did a message on Paul back in the fall. You can find that on our YouTube channel, kind of give a biography of his life. And Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus around 60 AD. But the reason we're looking at this letter is because many scholars believe that this letter would have not just stopped in Ephesus. Most scholars believe that this letter was circulated around to other churches because it speaks to topics like church unity, church leadership, and the vision of the church as a whole. And so I figured if this is a letter that addresses the vision of the church from the Apostle Paul of all people, then this is a great place for us to start in seeing what kind of church are we called to be. And when we see what kind of church that Paul had in mind as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter, we'll see that what he had in mind compared to what we might know today as church might be a different kind of church. And so what we want to do today is we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1. And Ephesians chapter 1, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. I was, I was putting this message series together and I said, oh, this is going to be the easy week. This is Ephesians 1. So it's the introductory letter, you know? This is the easy, this is the easy part of chapter 1. It just sets the whole letter up. But when you look at Ephesians chapter 1, it's filled with doctrine. It's filled with Paul praising and celebrating people. It's filled with Paul foreshadowing things that are going to come later on in the letter. And if you read the translation that I was reading, the NASB 1995, it's filled with run-on sentences. And I'm trying to compartmentalize this thing and put it together in a sermon so that we can take it. I'm like, this guy, can you just, can you just keep a thought together, Paul? Like he's just building all these, all these uh, one, one, one comma after another just keeps going and going and going. I'm like, oh my goodness, Paul. Like, I just, I'm trying to get this together, but something finally came together. And I think we have a message today. So what we're actually going to do in Ephesians chapter 1 is we are going to start at the end of the chapter where Paul ends the chapter with a prayer for the church at Ephesus. And I believe this will give us a structure to work back from so that we can see what does it mean for us to be a different kind of church. What does it mean for us to become the church that Jesus had in mind when he started this movement 2,000 years ago? So Paul writes this in Ephesians 1 verses 18 through 23. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Listen to this. And he put all things, not just some things, all things in subjection under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is over all things. He fills all in all. Here's what's good. Here's what makes this good news. I am not the head of the church. I've been called to lead in a certain way in the church, but I, as a flawed human being, I am not the head of the church. You, you may have a lot of opinions about the church, but you're not the head of the church either, okay? The richest person in the world is not the head of the church. The president of the United States is not the head of the church. And no offense to anybody, but no religious figure, not even the Pope is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of his church, and he reigns over all, through all, and in all. 
Jesus is the head of his church. You can clap for that. That's good news for us today, that Jesus is over all things and he is reigning and he is over his church. Jesus is the head of the church. And we could stop right there today because that's good news for every single one of us to know that Jesus is alive and he's reigning over all things. But we're gonna work back a little bit because Paul's saying that Jesus is over all things, but in Ephesians 1, verses four through 13, he uses this language, in him or in Christ. So what does a church, what does a group of people look like that is in Christ, that is in him, that is following the one who is over all, through all, and in all? What does a church look like that aspires to be and desires to be in Christ? Well, the first thing is this. A church that is in Christ is set apart. A church that is in Christ is set apart. We are to be a different kind of people. I've said this a million times here before, but I'm gonna say it again just in case we forgot. The church is not a building, the church is a people. So wherever people are gathered together who follow Jesus, the spirit of God is among them and that's where the church is. The church is a people. And the church is a group of people who have been called to be set apart. Who have been called to be, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, Holy. The word holy means to be distinct. It means to be different. It means to be set apart. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Once again, every spiritual blessing. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that he would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. See what I mean? There's a lot going on in just those few verses right there. There's a few things to address here. We as a people are called to be set apart. But before I break that apart a little bit more, there's a trigger word here that for those of you who grew up in church, you saw it right away and you know what word I'm talking about, and that's the word predestined. What exactly does that mean, predestined? Because some of us have heard this word before. There are groups of people within the church who believe that every single soul and individual has been predestined by God, that he chose them, and that he chooses certain people to know him, and he chooses certain people not to know him, and we as humans have no free will and no ability to make that decision. There are people who believe that within the church, that God predestined every soul. It's his choice. We don't get any choice in that. There's some people who believe that. And I'm generalizing, by the way. I know there's some people who are very passionate about this. I'm generalizing. I get it. You can send me an email if you'd like to, Scott Lackey at newstorybuffalo.com, because typically this group of people thinks they know more than everybody. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that, but anyways. So, so there's, there, there's that group of people. I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. That was not responding in gentleness. I apologize if anybody here feels that way. But okay, so there's some people who believe that everyone's predestined. Then there's another group of people who believe that they have free will, that we have free will as human beings, and we can choose to respond to God and, and respond to Jesus Christ with free will, that we have a decision to make, that we can say, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus or I'm not going to choose to follow Jesus. And yes, God foreknows everything. He knows what's going to happen, but it's based off of human decisions and human free will. There's two groups of people. I want to be very clear about something. You can be in either of these groups and still love, know, and follow Jesus. There are people in both groups who know, love, and follow Jesus. We don't need to have division in the church over this even though some of you are like, you just made a very smart remark. I know I did a few minutes ago. Please forgive me. Let's move on. Uh, you can still love Jesus and be on either side of this. And then some of you are saying, 
I don't really care about predestination. Can we get back to the message? And others of you are saying, yeah, Scott, thank you for explaining that, but how do you feel about this, Scott? I'll let you know. So I was doing some research on this, and I was in a, a commentary on the book of Ephesians from Lynn Coick, and she's phenomenal. She's brilliant. And she had this to say about predestination. She said, predetermination or predestination for Paul then seems to be linked to a specific relationship with Christ. The predestined activity of God is not salvation in a generic sense, but it is a specific preordained outcome that can be described both as adoption, which shapes the believer into the likeness of the only begotten Son and conformity to the image of the Son. What exactly does that mean? Basically, what, what Coic is describing here in her commentary is that predestination speaks to a predestined outcome or the predestined work of Christ. The work of Christ on the cross, that was predestined. The work of a group of people in general called the church, that was predestined. And there's a predestined work. We, will be prede we are predestined to conformity to the image of Jesus if we make the decision to follow Jesus. Because Paul goes on to talk in Ephesians 2.10, about how there are good works that we've been predestined to do, but we have to walk in them. See there's, see, there's a conscious decision that we've been given. There's a free agency and a free will that has been given to us by God. And if we've made that decision to follow Jesus, then there is a predetermined or preordained outcome for anyone who chooses to follow him. You will be conformed to adoption. You'll be conformed to the image of Jesus. So that is what's predestined. Not, to, not the choice of an individual. That's not predestined. But the outcome in Christ is what is predestined. He's talking more so of outcomes, not a personal decision. Some of you are saying, okay, that's all right, I guess. Some of you are like, I can't believe you explained it that way. I didn't really like that. Some of you are like, I'm still not following. That's okay. We're off that topic now. We're moving on. Are you good? You with me? All right, so there's predestination. There are my thoughts on it. So here we go. Set apart. What does that mean? He says that we are holy and blameless. We are to be set apart as the church and that we are adopted into this new family. When we think of holiness, oftentimes we think of the image of somebody who lives in isolation, almost like a monk who stays away from everybody else in society and has this kind of idea of, of just, just isolation. That's what we think of when we think of holiness. But to be holy is actually a call to a type of life that we are supposed to live amongst everybody. To be holy is a style of life to be distinct, to be set apart, and to live into the reality that Christ has for us as adoption, as conformity to his image. And we have been called to be set apart, to be holy, to be distinct, to be different. And you might be thinking, well, that's difficult. I don't know if I can pursue holiness. But he says in verse 3 that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Sometimes we forget that. That means that we have been given everything we need to live a holy life. We have been blessed in Christ Jesus with everything we need to live the type of life that he has called us and created us to live in. He doesn't just say, hey, go live a holy life and figure it out by yourself. No, he has drawn close to us and by the power of his spirit has given us grace and forgiveness and love and mercy. And in those things, he is empowering us to live a set-apart life, to live a different kind of life. You see, a holy life is a reflection that you've experienced blessing. 
Holiness is a reflection of experiencing blessing. When you've experienced all the blessing of what Christ has for you, you can't help but to live a set-apart and holy life. And you're saying, that could be difficult to figure out by myself. Well, this is the next part of the story that's such great news. He says, you've been adopted into a family. You see, you have been set apart and then set into a new family. When we begin to follow Jesus, we are set into a new family. We are adopted into this divine family that's been existing for all of eternity that is beyond us. We have been adopted. And we've been adopted to come together as a church to live holy and set apart. In other words, you could say that we as the church are supposed to be divine difference makers. We are wired and desired in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing to be divine difference makers wherever it is that God has placed us. And this concept of adoption goes back to the very genesis as to why we started New Story Church. Because we recognize that every single one of us as human beings has something that is calling out to our soul and calling us to be a part of something greater than ourselves. Every single one of us desires to be a part of something beyond us. You know how I know that to be true? We all align ourselves with different groups and movements and people. We align ourselves with political movements. We align ourselves with sports fandom. We align ourselves with teams. We align ourselves with different families and groups and trying to build and expand. We all desire to be a part of something beyond ourselves. We all desire to be a part of something outside of ourselves. We all desire to be a part of a group or a movement that is making a difference for the betterment of those around us. There's a desire on our hearts to be a part of the beyond. And I would say that that desire that is within you is God speaking into your life, calling you into the adoption of the family that you've been designed to live in. Every single one of us has the call of God on our lives, calling us into this adoption, calling us into this family, calling us into the beyond, calling us into something greater than ourselves. And that is the God of the universe calling you home to adoption, to set you apart so that you can be set into a new family and experience the fullness of life and the restoration of humanity that he has in store for each and every one of us. We've been set apart and we've been set free. We have been set free. This is the next thing that Paul makes very clear. I just started a story group this past Wednesday, another story group. You should get in a story group if you're not in one. I don't know if we have many openings, but then you should start one. But anyway, okay, so I'm in this story group. And in the story group, we were talking about how complaining becomes such an easy part of everyday life. Anybody here find themselves complaining more than they would like to? Come on, hands in the air. All right, thank you for all the liars. But anyway, so, uh, but we we, we all find ourselves complaining when, when we wish we wouldn't be complaining because it's kind of a normal thing to do. It's a normal thing to do to just be in a conversation and complaining about other people. Whether you're complaining about what you heard in the news, whether you're complaining about your boss, whether you're complaining about your family, it's just kind of a normal thing to do to complain. It's me against the world, let's complain about it. It's what we do. But when we surrender to this perspective of complaining, what we're actually doing is we are imprisoning ourselves to pessimism. And instead of living a life of freedom, we get caught in a cycle of failure. Because we are not living in the freedom that Christ has for us, we are constantly then submitting to to this same cycle of complaining over and over and over again. And instead of seeing beyond ourselves to the eternal purpose that God has for us, we are just seeing an inward focus of it's all about me. And what I find so compelling about Paul is he is sitting in prison, not free at all from a human perspective, 
And he's writing about the goodness of God and his grace and his mercy and forgiveness to this church at Ephesus. Look at this in Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. How are you talking about the riches of grace and forgiveness being lavished on you when you're sitting in prison? He says, In all wisdom and insight, he made known to, me, he made known to us the mystery of his will. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If I'm Paul and I'm sitting in prison, I'm not claiming to know the mystery of God's will. I'm saying, God, what is your will? Because I'm in prison. Get me out of here. But he's claiming to know the mystery of God's will while sitting in prison because there's a freedom that exists beyond our circumstance. He says, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. He says, all things have been summed up in Christ in the heavens And on the earth. He doesn't say they will one day be summed up on the earth. They've all been summed up under Christ in heaven and on the earth. It's so easy to fall into this cycle of complaining and give in to a perspective of failure of, oh, I just can't get out of this. Oh, I can't get to where I need to go. Oh, it's me against the world. But when you choose to follow the way of Jesus and we become the kind of church that he's called us to be, we will see that there's a freedom that exists outside of our circumstance. We will see that even in the moments where we feel like we have nothing left to give, that he has lavished us with grace and mercy, that he has rained those things on us and he's given those things to us in abundance, every spiritual blessing so that we can give to others. You always have more to give in Christ Jesus and there's always freedom available for you. Instead of submitting to a perspective of failure, choose to see the freedom that is available to you in Christ that exists outside and beyond your circumstance, that exists outside of whatever is happening around you, there is a freedom available for you. This goes back to that good news that we've been adopted into a family because there are gonna be moments, there are gonna be times in life, some of you may even be in a time like this right now where you're saying, I can't see a way out. I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what to do. And you're trying to say, I know there's freedom in Christ. I know that there's still grace for me. I know that he still has mercy. But it feels like I'm in this prison and I can't get a way out. The good news is is you've been adopted into a family. And that family will help you see the freedom that's available to you. When you're in a season of failure, there's a family who wants to lead you into freedom. There's a family that you've been adopted into with brothers and sisters in Christ who want to help you see the freedom that Christ has for you. You've been adopted into a family that is beyond you. I know this is going to be uncomfortable, but would you just look at someone, and if you're not near anybody right now, just yell it. Just look at somebody next to you and say, we are family. We are family. I know we're sick of that song at weddings. I know that we've had enough of it, but it's the truth. There we go. We are family. If you're online, type it in the chat. We are family. We are family. You, we have a family that exists beyond us in Christ Jesus. No matter your background, no matter your race or ethnicity, no matter who you are or where you've been, we have a family and we've been brought together as one in Christ. We've been set apart and set into a new family. And your family is present and there for you to help you find the freedom that only Christ has for you. We've been set apart, we've been set free, and we've been set up. And this is not the bad kind of setup either. Uh, This is not the kind of setup 
Like what we did to my friend Philip in ninth grade when we said, hey, Philip, that girl over there really likes you. And he'd say, are you serious? Oh, we're dead serious, Philip. Let me give you her phone number. And you can text her. And then she would text him and say, you are disgusting. I am not into you. Leave me alone. I'm sorry, Philip, if you're watching this. I've apologized many times, but in case the people here think I never did, I am now. So, but any, that's, not, that's not a good kind of setup. That's called a prank. That's called a joke. It's nasty. It's mean. We shouldn't do those things. I really wasn't following Jesus at the time, so please forgive me. But, but so, so we would do, that's the bad kind of setup. This is a good kind of setup. This is the best type of setup. You have been set up for success in Christ. In Christ, you have been set up for success. Now, I have to pause here again because just in case somebody thinks that when I say set up for success, I mean material wealth or you're going to be a millionaire, you're going to have a big house. I clarify myself with these things all the time, but just to be clear so nobody takes a YouTube clip of me one day and says, see, Scott preaches that weird stuff. This is not what I mean. I don't mean that you're going to have a private jet because you follow Jesus. Sorry, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is, is that you've been set up for success in Christ to live into the purpose that Christ has for you. And you've been set up for success because you've been given the Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul says to this church in Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14. In him, in Christ, in Christ also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of of his glory. That word pledge actually means down payment. There is a down payment that has been placed on your life in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we all want to know what a down payment is, right? Especially for those of us who've purchased a home before. You put a down payment down and then you work towards the full fruition of, of, of you know, paying off the mortgage and working towards the end of that. You know, great stuff. But anyway, so in Christ, his spirit is a pledge. His spirit is a down payment on our lives of the future that we've been called to. We have an eternal down payment that's a part of our inheritance that exists within us called the spirit of God that speaks to the eternal future that we will one day have with Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit, he is a guide, but he's so much more than that. The Holy Spirit, he does affirm the scriptures. But for my more conservative friends, he does so much more than that. The Holy Spirit, he does give us spiritual gifts, but he does so much more than that. The Holy Spirit, he brings us comfort, but he does so much more than that. The Holy Spirit, he convicts us, but he does so much more than that. The Holy Spirit, he does remind us of the words of Jesus, but he does so much more than that. The Holy Spirit of God is a down payment on our lives, a pledge from God to us that reminds us of the future that God has in store for each and every one of us. It's time that we stop treating the Holy Spirit as if he's the good friend of the Father and the Son that we just talk about when it's convenient for us. Oh, yeah, you know, the, you know we, got, we got the Father, he's God, and Jesus, he's the Son of God. And they got this little cute friend, the Holy Spirit, who goes around and does stuff for them. 
That's not who he is. He's a real and he's alive. And because of him, our bodies are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the place where heaven and earth collide within us. And when we walk in the spirit of God, we are building the future of God. We are living with the eternal inheritance. The church of God that walks in the spirit of God will build the future of God. We are participating in an eternal work, bringing God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. There's an eternal inheritance that has been placed within your life that reminds you of the great future that each and every one of us has available to us in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are set apart. In Christ, we are set free. And in Christ, we are set up to live into the future, into the eternal reality, and to build the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven that Christ has called us to build. So I I actually want to go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23 in Paul's prayer. Because this reminds us of the power that we can live in when when we live in this new reality of set apart, set free, and set up. And for this part, I'm actually going to switch translations to the message translation from Eugene Peterson because some of the language that he uses here is just so practical for us today. And I get excited when I read this. If you want to get excited and interrupt me while I'm talking, I'll keep reading. But you can do that. You can amen. You can clap. It's okay for us to affirm the word of God as the people of God so that we can move forward with God. Everyone following me? You don't have to if you don't want to either. I got some people in here. I know they're never talking in service. That's okay. We all connect to God differently. But if some of you want to affirm what the word of God is saying here, you can go for it. This encourages me so much. Look at this. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven. In charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, there we go. And not just for the time being, but for how long? Forever. Here we go. Okay, he is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of this, Christ rules the church. Come on, somebody, amen. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is what? The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts. You as the church are the very voice of God in this world today. We are the way in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Come on. He has filled all things with his presence. And by his church, he speaks and acts. And so what we can, what, here's what I want to do. I want to I give some vision for New Story Church this morning as we continue to write the new story that God has in mind for each and every one of us. Here's, here's the vision. Here's what we're going to do. We recognize as a church that Jesus Christ, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is over all, he is through all, he is in all, and he holds all things together. And when we, when we declare that and we embrace that and know that he reigns forever, we as a church will come together and say, you know what, in Christ we are set apart. We are going to live a different kind of life where we bring the holiness and the blessing and the love of Christ to wherever it is that he has us. We will be set part, uh, apart in Christ. We will be set free in Christ Jesus. And when we live in that freedom, we will come together and we are going to set others free as the family of God. And we are set 
up in the power of the Holy Spirit to build the future and to build the reality and to restore the creation and to live in the new humanity that God had in mind, that Christ had in mind when he started his church. Come on, can somebody say with me, I'm set apart. Say, I'm set free. Say, I am set up. Amen. We are set apart. We are set free. And we are set up in Christ Jesus.